Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Questions You Never Thought You Could Ask in Church. We are live from the 216 The Net Studio in McHenry. Big shout out to 216 yeah, The Net. All right. And you might notice uh, if you're watching us on Facebook or on YouTube that our setup is a little bit different here and that we have a guest visitor with us today. And, and I'm, I got to say, I got hair. So I'm a little bit disappointed that the mic- the mustache is moving. <laughs> it's not behind you. Uh, this is Tina Gadini here. Hi, guys. And yes, they do share a last name. Um, it is yeah. not coincidence. Yeah. No, it is not. Um, but if, if you watch Fellowship of Faith's uh, worship service on Facebook, you might recognize Tina. She hosts our pregame and postgame show. I do. Um, so you might recognize her from that or recognize her voice. But yeah, we're happy to have you in here. Thanks, Andrew. Yeah, yeah. this is fun. It's funny, Thanks, Tina. Andrew. I was actually even thinking about this, knowing that, you know, Steve was feeling a little bit under the weather and going, huh, that would be fun to do with Tina. I wonder if Tina would do this. And it was like completely out of my mind in the next thought. And then, Okay, because I was thinking about this because it was a surprise today. We saw like he saw that I was here in the parking like lot. Pulling in the driveway at the same time. With <laughs> and, uh, I mean, yeah, because we communicate in our marriage. Uh, yeah. <laughs> important things, mostly. Sort of. Sort of. Uh, do you remember the movie um, Notting Hill? So this, this is yes. what I was thinking about all morning after Steve called me. And uh, in the movie, the guy falls in love with a movie star who was played by Julia Roberts. Okay. And so they're like on this date and they're walking around together. And then all of a sudden, Julia Roberts' boyfriend shows up. You know, not, not the guy that she's with, but like the boyfriend shows yeah. up and he's like, hey. It was good su- uh, Alec Baldwin, by It was Alec Baldwin. Yeah. And he's like, hey, good surprise, bad surprise. And of course it was a bad surprise, but she says, good surprise. So Dave, good surprise, bad surprise. <laughs> good surprise. <laughs> good answer. That's perfect. No, it's great to have you doing this today, <laughs> Tina, because, you know, for our listeners, I mean, uh, <laughs> anyone who's in ministry is always in team ministry if they're married you know, be a husband or a wife because your spouse is the person that you're sharing things with, questioning things, who who, who challenges you, I think, the most vigorously uh, among all people. So I'm looking forward to this today, T. And, uh, and I will say there's there's many, many times that Dave asks me questions and we go around about, and it's not too frequently that I have strong opinions on something. And when I do, I feel like, you know, we go about it and then you choose the opposite of what I say. I'm like, you're killing me. I finally have a strong so now, opinion. Now you have time and for retribution. Yeah. <laughs> 60 minutes for retribution ahead of us here. That's well, guys, amazing. thanks for listening to the show today. Look, this is called Questions You Never Thought You Can Ask in Church because we're church workers here. And our experience has been that a lot of people have been going to churches for a long time. And they don't feel like they can ask the questions that they truly have about God, theology, the Bible, life, issues, struggles, and doubts. And likewise, I've met so many people over the course of my life and my family, friends, and ministry who have so many questions about spirituality, about Christianity, about other religions, about God, about the Bible, and they don't think that the church is a place that they can ask their questions because sadly, too many churches, I think, have closed people down when they have honest, sincere, well-thought reason questions, or maybe even silly questions, or crazy questions, Mm -hmm. or heretical questions, or out-of-the-box thinking questions. And so many times there's this shadow of um, judgment that I think is placed upon people, or more commonly that I think people self-impose. They're afraid of judgment. They're afraid they're going to be branded. They're afraid they're going to be looked at funny. They think they're going to be um, cast in a a certain light. And how stupid is that? Uh, I think church should be the place where people could ask any question that they that, that they have about God, no matter how far out of the box it might be. Um, because that's what church is about, is people helping each other along the journey, trying to figure out and, and seek God and, and wrestle through the issues that we all inevitably have in life. So so we invite you to text your questions in to 815-314-0363. Again, that's 815-314-0363. Or if Any, you're watching on Facebook. Yeah, if you're watching on Facebook, you could post it on the, the 216, the net um, channel, or on the Fellowship of Faith Facebook page as yep. well. We'll get them those way as well. We got quite a mailbag here or an inbox. Yeah, exactly. Excuse me. I have to update to 1994. Here you go. <laughs> One day I'm going to come in with a bag full. Totally. Totally. Um, yeah. If you want to mail, hard mail your questions in, right? We need to get a P.O. box. Yeah, we really do. That's how we, we really get sponsorships. Do. Start sending send your postcards. Things, <laughs> we'll open them, unbox them on the show. That'd be great. Right. 
<laughs> no, but you, you know, seriously, text your questions in or Facebook them in. We'll do our best to get to them today. If we run out of time, we've got an inbox of questions waiting. And uh, hey, Andrew, yeah, it, doesn't, jump even, on it in? doesn't even have to be live. If you're listening to the podcast later on throughout the week yeah, and have absolutely. a question, you can still send that in. Um, we'll get those during the week and get them added into the list. Let's start with this. Um, who died first, Adam or Eve? <laughs> I thought you were going to say who died first, the chicken or the egg. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> Definitely the chicken, right? <laughs> who died first, Adam or Eve? We don't actually know when Eve died. There's no biblical record of this. Um, we assume she did die, of course, and she's not still roaming the earth somewhere. Eve is married? Like she just kind of kept coming. Hanging out with Elvis. <laughs> she's hanging out with Elvis and JFK. Um, by the way, if you ever want to see a great movie, I got, don't write me off, Bubba Hotep. You ever see Bubba Hotep? No. Okay, I've so, never heard of that. Is so, that a person? So, no. so basically, here's the premise of the movie. I think it was early 2000s that it came out. But um, Elvis and JFK never actually died. And they went into hiding, and they're living in, an, uh, in a retirement home, in a nursing home, rather. Okay. Um, they become fast friends. And there's a museum exhibit nearby where they're doing an Egypt exhibit, and a coffin, a, a mummy, falls off the truck that they're transporting to this exhibit. Well, mummies, of course, feed on the souls of people. And so it's up to JFK and Elvis to save their nursing home from the, the mummy who is seeking to pray. Because, of course, <laughs> you know, you're not going to inquire if someone dies in a nursing home is like, right? And so the mummy's found is in. Fantastic movie. I am not even really, joking. Really it, is, it is philosophical. It is insightful. Well, I mean, it, it, it's 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 satire and dark humor top to bottom but it's but it's poignant it's theological it, it, it's I, I insightful say, into age and death and life it, it's it's beautiful watch Bubba hotel at least in our family steve wells has a reputation of being a bad movie critic he just does not like any good movies he doesn't like good movies and he loves the bad ones yeah but even yeah. steve will like Bubba hotel even steve will like Bubba hotel that's the challenge if steve if you're listening today we're throwing down the gauntlet Bubba you bashed hotel. us on mean girls oh. Bubba hotel all right i need to add that to my list now Okay, no, so but so here's first? the thing. So who died first? Uh, who knows who died first? Because we don't really know when Eve died. There is no record in the Bible of Eve's death. There is a record, however, of Adam's death. And it's in Genesis 5, I believe. Uh, you, you could look this up. It's easy. Just find the genealogy and it'll actually tell you. Um, if you're interested for our listeners today, I am going to look it up right now. And I think it's, and I'm going to make my guess first. I think it's like 600 and something that, that he's recorded as living that many years. Uh, it's, yeah, it's Genesis 5, verse 3. When Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image, and he named him Seth. Oh, I was off. After Seth was born, Adam lived 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Adam lived a total of 930 years, and then he died. Man, I, I, I That sounds his- horrible. <laughs> That's so long. Who here wants to live 930 years? You know, I'm going to challenge it, though. And I think there's a fascinating, often overlooked um, theological trajectory of Genesis and the Bible dealing with this. Because Adam's not alone. Mm -hmm. Before Noah, and even through Noah and, and slightly beyond, you see these absurdly long lifespans recorded in the Bible for these early people of faith. And... What I'd like to compare it to a little bit is The Lord of the Rings. And if any of our listeners um, ever watched something like Fellowship of the Ring, or, or uh, I think that one brings out the most clearly, or, or heaven forbid, right, actually read Tolkien's works, which I highly recommend. Just Steve? stick through them. I have not done. I've seen Steve, the movies. did you watch those movies yet? Yeah, Thanks, right, Steve. right. That's did you, another Andrew? one. Did you see them? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, good. I've seen but movies. do you remember the elves? And do you remember how the elves would live to be 1,000, 2,000? Like Lord Elrond was 3,000 years old. Yeah. Tolkien, of course, was a, a, a devoutly... Um, Christian author. He was a Roman Catholic. And while it's not an allegory of the Christian faith, there certainly is illusions and and influences everywhere of, of the Christian worldview in the Lord of the Rings. And I think it's suggestive that maybe the elves are, are a model in which we can think similarly about people in the pre-Noahic flood lifespan, where you see 700 years, 800 years. What do we say for Adam? It was 930 yeah. years. Because God did not originally intend for death to be a part of the human equation. Death is a consequence of sin in the biblical worldview. Mm -hmm. And so people were not either A, supposed to die, or B, decay towards death. And so you almost get this sense in the early chapters of Genesis that God, while in his justice, have to 
having to carry out the sentence of death, is staving death off as long as possible, and which I think would also presuppose staving or slowing down decay as long as possible. So that when Adam is 930 years old, is that more akin to us being 70, 80, 90 today? And that when he's like rocking 400, 500 years, it's like us being maybe 40 or 50, you know, or something (laughs) like that. Again, that's speculative, but I think there's something suggestive in that, Mm -hmm. Um, particularly because it's when you come across the uh, the Noahic flood, Genesis chapter six, where God looks at the world, he's grieved, he actually repents, God repents of of humanity uh, and the fact that he made them because there's nothing but wickedness, an inclination of wickedness in the heart. And so we cut short their lifespan at that point, basically to kind of stave off the ruin that humanity would wreak if they were allowed to propagate in their evil disposition for centuries. So was Adam before Eve? I don't know. Eve may have pulled a thousand. You got me. Um, It's a great question. Boy, the, ca- the, the candles on the birthday cake at 450. <laughs> you're like, you're like forests <laughs> up at this point, right? <laughs> that's very interesting, though, that because that's what you said it was chapter five. In Genesis first, five like, will give you five that. verses, yeah, that they span a thousand year period, yeah, and then how much of the rest of the Bible is compressed into. <laughs> Right? Because you read all of Genesis 5 and you get the same kind of thing basically up through Noah. Yeah. Um, so it's very then, interesting that that whole time span is, that's kind of all we know about it. Right. Yeah. Right. Do you think Adam was the first person to die, I assume, of natural causes? Yeah. And, and you got to put it that way, yeah. natural causes, yeah. because, of course, the first recorded death is Abel. Murder. Which was his, yeah, murder, red rum, right? Which was his, uh, that's a shining flashback coming up um, <laughs> is that from Boba Hotep no that is not from Boba Hotep that is from The Shining actually I, which I've never Again, read I haven't seen that one it, it, yeah. it is quite frightening how many movie references come up in natural conversation for me <laughs> <laughs> but you know of course Abel being the first recorded uh, death but yeah. you know yeah who knows I wonder if when Adam died if that was sad and terrifying like oh, it's not just for murder victims. You know, it's, oh, God was serious about That death there's a and, natural progression towards death. Yeah. It's not just avoiding being slain. Yeah. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do, you, how do you operate that in the first time? Though, of course, even though we're surrounded by it today, we still kind of stand somewhat in that tradition of all of us have to face that, even if we're surrounded by family somewhat. Yeah alone with that uncertainty and you um, see in genesis all we have is our own thinking and experience and you see it. in genesis too how much at least pre-fall how much god was walking with adam and eve in the garden do you think he continued to walk with them i mean i know they were kicked out of the garden but do you think he continued to walk with them and said hey this is coming let's let's be prepared and and, no, and i've got and a plan in this even way, even though yeah. this is going to happen i still have a plan and no i don't and while i'm not saying that i think there was a complete absence of god certainly there isn't a complete absence of god today there's this very fascinating passage it's at the very end of genesis 4 where you're about three or four generations in now again how many years span those generations um, you know, we, we could have kids, uh, people today have kids in their, their, their 20s, even their teens, of, of course. And if you're looking at Genesis 5, it says that Adam had, um, you know, Seth when he was 130. Cain and Abel were before that. Yeah. Needless to say, at the end of Genesis chapter 4, and uh, since I have it open, I'll just kind of read it. Um, very last verses. And it says this. Um, I'm reading out of the NIV. It's like verse 25. Adam made love to his wife again. This is after the Cain and Abel story and its progression. And she gave birth to a son and named him Seth, saying, God has granted me another child in place of Abel since Cain killed him. Seth also had a son and named him Enosh. All right? Enosh. Here's the last sentence. At that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. At that time, people People began began to call on the name of the Lord. Which, of course, suggests that after the exile from the garden, when they walked intimately with God, that there was a void of sorts. Um, Not only a void of the experience of God, but a void 
in even the knowledge of God because you're multi-generational now and you're not experiencing it firsthand. You're depending on the stories of your parents and grandparents who have experienced it before you. Mm-hmm. And of course, all of us know that if that's all that you have, it only takes you so far, right? Right. right. Yeah. And, and so you see this, this, this shift almost start to happen where people start to turn to Yahweh again, to call on Mm -hmm. the name of the Lord again, to pray again, to seek him, you know, and calling on the name of the Lord is a classic term for prayer and worship that you'll find through the old Testament. But, uh, yeah. Like if you're in the same room as me, I'm not gonna be like, Oh, David, where are you? Where are you, Dave? Yeah. Cause you're right there. Huh? Yeah. Well, I don't know if that's better, if that's more sad. <laughs> <laughs> Just crushed that. <laughs> well, don't we take this so for granted? Because, you know, one of the, the deep Old Testament hopes was the outpouring of God's spirit. That you can read about this in the prophets like Jeremiah, like Ezekiel, but certainly others, where they were yearning and crying for God for the day that would come when God would pour his spirit out on all people again. I love how the prophet Joel puts it. Your young men will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women alike, even on the servants, even the servants are going to have the spirit of God, right? Um, And now we're just like, eh, Holy Spirit poured out of Pentecost. Okay. What's on TV? Uh, how how much we take the gifts of God for granted that he pours out that, that living ever present uh, spirit who's working on us, pursuing us, um, Mm -hmm. working on us, seeking to enlighten us, to draw us, to, to, to convict us, to encourage us. And certainly the Holy spirit was present in the old Testament, but not in the same, I don't want to say not in the same way, but not in the same volume, (laughs) maybe as a way I like to put it, you know, the, the analogy I like to use is if any of our listeners have ever been to a water park and it's, it's, uh, you know, (laughs) we're out here in Northern Illinois, I think of magic waters, which is out in Rockford, Illinois or Cherry Valley, Illinois. What's the one at Great America? Um, you know, you have the one at Great America, Six Flags, Great America and Gurney, or if you've been up to the Dells or, you know, whatever water park you may have ever been to, um, they, they, they've, you, you see these a lot where they have this giant bucket suspended in the air. It's like this like 800 gallon bucket and there's like a, a bullseye painted on the ground <laughs> and then it slowly fills like every 10 minutes. Yeah. You know yeah, what I'm talking I know about. Exactly what you're and talking then about. When, when the bucket gets enough weight, it tilts and boosh, yeah. you're deluged. And uh, I almost think of like in the old Testament or pre Pentecost world, this, this trickle, like, like you got the faucet turned on a little bit and there's this little trickle of the Holy Spirit. And of course, being poured out on certain people in, in extra measures now and again. But Joel looking forward to this day when bucket the tips. bucket is just going to be poured out and you're going to be deluged hmm. in this hmm. and in the spirit of God. So, yeah, great question. Thank our listeners for asking. And uh, any questions you have, text them in to 815-314-0363. Again, 815-314-0363, excuse me. You can post them on Facebook at 216thenet or the Fellowship of Faith Facebook page. Also, check us out. Um, check out the podcast pre-recordings of this. We're live yep. right now. But you can go to fellowshipoffaith.org and go to the FOF Plus page. Um, and right there, you'll find a, uh, a list of all previous episodes if you want to catch up on, on past things that we've journeyed through. And it uh, looks like he's even putting it on the face, faith uh, on, on the Facebook page. Now, keep going there, Kent. You're almost there. You're almost there. There it is. Ding, ding, FOF ding. Plus. You can find that podcast and more of what we do at Fellowship of Faith located there. For sure not copyright infringement. <laughs> <laughs> <But>. <laughs> Thank you, Disney. Thank you, AMC. Thank AMC. you, Discovery. Right. If they can all do it, surely we can too, right? right? right. Um, the plus sign is not copyrighted. Otherwise, math teachers forever are in profit. You know? yeah. So I have one more that deals with Adam and Eve. Okay. Um, why do we have to be responsible for the sin of Adam and Eve? It's, it's a real bummer, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. And I, and I Why like, did they mess it up for everyone? And then I like that it's the sin of Adam and Eve, not just the sin of Eve. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And in fact, well, so I'll repeat it. Why do we have to be responsible for the sin of Adam and Eve? And far more frequently throughout the Bible, you will see Adam is the one held responsible and is the originator of yeah. sin as opposed to Eve. Eve doesn't get off the hook. You know, you see in the Genesis 3 passage, you see in and uh, 1 Timothy 2, where, of course, you know, no, she's got culpability in this as well. But again, I think this is a question that has really um, vexed people and uh, caused a lot of heartache because it feels like we're having to pay the price for what we haven't even done. Yeah. And um, as I go into this, I don't want to take for granted that our listeners even know what we're talking about here. 
Central to the Christian worldview is the concept of sin. And most people think of sin as things that we do that are wrong or things that we don't do that are right. In other words, we see sin so often or people assume that sin means transgressing commands or laws of God. And that certainly is sin. And that certainly is what Adam and Eve had done and therefore were held liable for their sin. However, a thing that's often overlooked is sin as a condition, a state of being, or a corruption. And the phrase that I've used on the show before that I like to say again, because I really want to change people's thinking on this, is you got to think that you, are, that you sin because you're a sinner, not that you're a sinner because you sin. It certainly is both. Say that again. But we, are, we sin because we're sinners. We're sinners first, and that breeds sin or, or, or violations of God's good way in our life. Far more than becoming, quote, sinners or becoming a certain class of people because we happen to sin. They certainly both are true. It's a yin and yang. It feeds on itself. But we're sinners first. The idea being that we are corrupt in our very hearts. That we are not good or solely good by nature. Mm -hmm. That each of us has a corrupt side, a fallible side. And um, the way that the reformers would actually talk about it is total depravity. How do you like that one? You're totally depraved. Mm. And what they didn't mean by that is you are evil through and through. It means rather that every aspect of who you are is tainted by sin. So no part of you is left unvandalized, meaning your emotions, your thinking and rationality, your thoughts, your will, your body, all of it is tainted by sin. And all of it is corrupt, I should say. And we call that the sinful nature. And so what I'd like you to think about with Adam and Eve is not so much that we're being held accountable for some action he did against God, but that the result of those actions he had about God got into his DNA. That's how I'm going to put it, all right? It got into the fiber of his being. And do you remember when I read that genealogy just a little bit ago? And we always think about ourselves being made in God's image. But who was Seth made in? I'm going to read it again, word for word, out of Genesis chapter 5. When Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image, and he named him Seth. We are more of the image of Adam than we are the image of God. And we have both of those images within us that are conflicting with each other. So much of what Paul in the New Testament writers aims at this, where he talks about how we can be born of both the spirit and of the spirit of God and of the flesh or the sinful nature at the exact same time. And Paul will even say in Galatians 5 that they are in conflict with each other so that we do not do what we want. We do not know what we want even half the time. And so what we've inherited from Adam because we are in his likeness is original sin. The corruption of Adam and Eve has carried down into the human race. Much like if my, um, well, I think of my brother, my stepbrother, right? And my stepbrother, we have no biological relations, so, so this will kind of work in this analogy, but his, uh, his family is racked with diabetes. So it's no surprise that my stepbrother has diabetes, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. Now, again, the analogy is imperfect at best because it doesn't fatalistically mean you will get genetically what you get passed down, but you can see how it can Children guide of our thinking. Children tend to have that tendency. Right, mm -hmm. right. And not just by observation and not just by behavior, but, but there's something by in their, 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 their very nature, their DNA or genetics that's passed on yeah. that predisposes you to something. Jesus will talk about this in Mark chapter 7, where he's like, you're so concerned with these externals what you do, what you don't do. But it's out of the human heart that comes all depravity. And then he lists several things, things like idolatry and hatred and discord and sexual immorality and perversity. And, and then he goes on and on and on with just all the things that are so common to all of us, right? That are so universal to the human, human experience. Mm -hmm. He's like, no, that comes out of you. So you got to clean the inside. You've got to be transformed within if you really want to deal with sin. Managing what you do and don't do. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm glad people do it because I'm glad people aren't just going hog wild. Yeah. 
yeah. but but it's never really going to solve the issue. Well, I think that's interesting because that maybe as you were kind of describing the difference between like a sinner and sin, God isn't necessarily forgiving the sins, the result of that. He's forgiving the sinner and the, the sinful nature of us. Yeah, yeah. And, and actually I would put it as this. I think it's both and, both, Andrew. Both and, because, yeah. because certainly when we violate God's law, we, by all that is just and right, should be held accountable to it. Mm-hmm. And God says, I am just and I will hold you accountable to it. So there certainly is a forgiveness from the infractions of the law that we've broken. But it's so much more than that. I like how Jesus puts it. You must be born again. And of course, the phrase born again gets a lot of bad rap because of of sometimes the way it's caricaturized and and misused and misapplied. But fundamentally, um, let's not miss the brilliance of what Jesus is saying here. You've got to be transformed from the inside, and only God can do that. Only the Spirit of God can fundamentally change your heart. And that's what Joel and all those prophets were looking forward to, is when Joel, uh, Jeremiah will put it this way, where you no longer, people will no longer need the law of God written on tablets of stone. Of course, referencing Moses, because God will write it on the human heart, right? He, he will do something to our very hearts. Um, Ezekiel will talk about, um, you know, how our hearts will be turned from stone, to flesh again. Paul will write about how God comes to circumcise our hearts to kind of like, you ever pull a callus off? You know, I think that that's more, you never pulled a callus off? Come on. All right. My thumbs right now from drumming. I I think I'm even working them while I'm talking. Yeah, you know, (laughs) but that God's going to do that. You know, he's going to remove this layer over our heart Fingernail polish. You know, I feel I take off fingernail polish. There you go. God will remove your fingernail polish. All right. All right. Well, uh, (laughs) go with it, right? I remember years ago, we went to the Creation Museum. And we're we're walking in, and there's like this beautiful display, and it's got like mango trees. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I would love to eat a mango right now. And then I looked, and I saw like the little placard, and it said, this is the tree that Eve ate from. So it's not necessarily an apple tree. It could be a mango tree. It could be a mango Mm -hmm. tree. What if it's a papaya? Do papayas grow on trees? Jackfruit. Jackfruit? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that takes some work to get into. What if it was a coconut and it wasn't an easy eat? They had to actually commit work work to it. it, What if it was passion fruit? (laughs) There you go. Passion fruit card. They gave in to the passion. They gave in to the passion, right? (laughs) This is something interesting. And Dave, I've heard you talk about this before about because people are like, well, why did God put the tree there? And you've responded in ways like saying, even if it wasn't the tree, it would be something else. Do you know what I mean? Do you know this? What I'm getting at? Yeah, I do. And so let me um, let me catch it up. Getting to free will. Uh, you know, Genesis chapters one through three give what I would call the cosmogony, meaning the reason for the universe. It's not okay. just a cosmology, but also a cosmogony, the origin and reason for the universe from a biblical and Judeo-Christian worldview. Mm-hmm. And of course, um, within this story, you see God's interaction with the first uh, created humans, Adam and Eve, and He. And and, and the narrator discusses how there's two trees in the garden or these trees in the garden. And God comes to them and says, you can eat of any tree in this garden. I've planted it for you. I've made it for you. Enjoy my creation. Take it. Enjoy it. But there is a tree that's called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. All right. And he says, you must not eat of that tree because if you eat of it, you're going to die. And of course, that's what the serpent plays on in the story. Mm -hmm. Tricks them, deceives them, plays on their desires to be like, what is this kind of thing? And so I've had a lot of questions over the years of people going, well, why did God plant that stupid tree in the garden to begin with and kind of mess the whole thing up? It's not a test. God isn't doing it to kind of screw with humanity or, or to put something there to kind of just like, ho, 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 you can't touch, you know, something like that. Don't think about God that way. You like that? <laughs> yeah, I can't believe I just said that on the air, but you know, but you almost kind of see that. Whatever, I'm moving on. I'm moving go, on. Go. Lock me in your own time, listeners. All right? <laughs> I don't know what we're talking about tree, anymore. The tree. Why did God put that Why tree there? Because he's ho-ho-hoing. The story of the tree <laughs> is there not to talk about so much of the origins of sin, but to show the mechanism of how it happened. So let me put this in another way. If, if Eve were to get ticked off an Adam one day and pick up a rock and bash him in the head, even though God never said, thou must not pick up a rock and bash your husband in the head, right? She nonetheless would have sinned. There was any number of ways that Adam and Eve could have defied God or sinned against God. 
We just happen to have this story because that's the way it happened to happen. That's the way it, it, it actually happened. Does, does that yeah. make sense? Yeah. 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 Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> <laughs> okay, change your gears away from Adam and Eve now. Um, New question. Question. <laughs> there's a very simple and then more complex, I guess. Okay, why pray? You know, why pray? Yeah. Great question. And you know, do you ever find that sometimes the simplest questions are the most profound, have the most kind of insight even behind them, and it just kind of cuts to the chase? Mm-hmm. Thank you for asking this. I really appreciate the question. Why pray? I'm going to answer it back both simply and and uh, and, and and more complicatedly. And, I, and that's even a complicated way to answer that, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is. <laughs> why pray? Because God wants you to. And, and honestly, I, I don't mean that. Um, I, I don't mean that just to kind of be snarky here on the air today. I, I mean that sincerely. That should be enough. God wants you to. And what God wants for you is something that's good, and, and, and connected to Him. God wants something intimate with you. God wants a relationship with you. God wants what's best for your life. Um, even though that might often mean a call to a path of discipline or, or even struggle or suffering in, in in the short term, but nonetheless, God wants you to. So that's why we pray. Um, now to fill it out a little bit more, um, it brings God delight. It's, it's conversation. Any healthy relationship has to have communication, and that's how we talk to God. It's a way of unloading our issues and our burdens upon God. It's a way of devoting ourselves to God. Because when you pray, you have to remind yourself, I need to go to him and not just my own thinking, not just my own resources, not just my own worries, not just the people I've surrounded myself with. It directs us back to God in a regular kind of way. I'm going to suspect that behind this question is is somewhat of a metaphysical question that if God knows everything, then why ask him for anything to begin with? Because he already knows what we'd ask. That's kind of the second part of it. Is that where it's going? Let's let's ask it then. Does prayer change God's mind or influence reality? Does prayer change God's mind or influence reality? You bet it does. And I say that because Jesus talks that way. God himself reveals himself that way to Moses. The prophets talk that way. We see God change his mind. We see God change his mind as a result of prayer. And I don't just mean experientially today, though certainly there as well. But through the biblical narrative, you see God change the course of his trajectory based on prayer. Look at Exodus 32. Look at Genesis 18. Look at Jonah. Um, You know, I can go on and on and on about this. Jesus himself will say, treat God like an unjust judge. An unjust. An unjust judge. A judge who cares nothing for the misery. Jesus said this? Jesus said this. Okay. (laughs) Jesus said this. And when you pray, you know, think about God like an unjust judge. One who doesn't care for humanity and is only concerned for himself. Well, God can feel that way sometimes. And I think a lot of people feel that way about God because that's what can seem. Jesus says this. And he says, treat him like this. There was a widow who came to the unjust judge who cared nothing for people and, and nothing but the misery, uh, nothing of the, the miseries of the, the world. The widow, the judge feels nothing for humanity. Right. Gotcha. And that's how you think about God, right? Yeah. And, and yet the widow wanted this judge to hear her case, uh-huh. right? And so the widow went after this judge day after day, <laughs> day oh after gosh. day, I can imagine begging that. this judge. And Jesus is very clear on this. Not because he cared, but Jesus actually says, because he didn't want to hear this widow griping anymore. It's like, this, this woman ain't going to leave me alone. <laughs> he finally capitulated. Huh. And Jesus says, pray that way. Pray that wear God down. Wear God down. So how does, how, does, how does then faith balance into that? Like, I prayed about it. I just need to leave it in God. How does that? Because that's not all that Jesus says about prayer. And this is the big mistake most people make when they read the Bible or engage in, in, in what I would call Christian truisms or aphorisms or, or, or cliches, okay. um, which I find very helpful, by the way. But the problem is, is that they're always myopic, meaning they're always short-sighted. They never give you a full enough picture, right? Because if you based everything on that, it can lead you to conclusions that it's all on me. It's all about me that God is unjust and I just have to wear him down. But Jesus has said much more about prayer because I like the counterpoint to this, which is Matthew chapter five, where he says, when you pray, do not babble on like the pagans because they think they'll be heard by their many words, right? Yeah. Don't, don't pray that way because your heavenly father is good and he knows what you need before you even ask. And so it becomes something that you have to contextualize to every situation, right? There are times when, when it is good and right to pursue God nonstop and voraciously and get people doing the same to try and change his will. 
There's other times when it is much wiser and much more faithful to say, Lord, I trust this into your hands. And the path, of course, of Christian wisdom is figuring out when to do which. And see, and this is a big thing that's missed in most churches I find today and among most believers, is that God is guiding us in a path of wisdom. And wisdom is birthed by experience and life with him, interacting with his word, interacting with those who have gone before us, that God wants us to get fuller and richer in the wisdom and knowledge of who he is. And it's always a scary thing to me when Christians don't want to grow in that because it's like, well, I know enough or I'm just saved or this is good enough. And it's like, how do you navigate life well? Yeah. How do you navigate life faithfully with God? How how do you develop a nurturing, so cool deeper relationship with God? That God it, it, isn't just looking to save you for all eternity. He's actually looking to make your life here better. You follow God's precepts and what God has set up. It's like, oh, your life here is going to be better. And how to navigate those precepts, yeah. especially when there looks like conflicting absolutes on the surface at times. Sometimes people will get very kind of all hot and bothered or or people who are more anti-Christian will delight in what they find as apparent contradictions in the Bible. Yeah. But it's kind of absurd if you spend more than like two minutes thinking about it because all of life is filled with these, shall I say, conflicting absolutes. I mean, just take justice and mercy. They're, they're antithetical terms and yet all of us would agree that we need to have both, and wisdom shows you how to navigate through them, right? Well, well the same is true of, uh, uh, of anything that's true, good, and right. God is not writing your playbook second by second. God is giving you wisdom, right? And then through his spirit guiding you and asking you to come into relationship with him so that you take on wisdom to navigate the better way to live, the God-honoring way to live. Yeah. Yeah. It's I, a great question. We appreciate you asking I here today. I had somebody recently the context was just unusual, but th they were talking to me about, um, see, there are contradictions in the Bible. Because in one of the Gospels, it said that when Jesus did communion, that, that the Monday, Friday or Thursday, the dinner thing, that he said, have the wine and then the bread. And then in another Gospel, it said he did the bread, then the wine. See, that's a contradiction. We can't trust the Bible. And, and, I, are... and I was so stunned. I'm like, what? That's not like... A yeah, and, big and, contradiction. And, and, and those are the unfortunate ones to me that people bring up because 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 there's really far more interesting things to talk about <laughs> with um, with apparent contradictions in the Bible than that. I mean, any conversation with any human being would easily reveal that we talk in different order, that we we record the events in different ways. I mean. Doesn't mean uh, honestly, that the event was false. No, not at all. Or that bread yeah. and wine wasn't present or that even the author's intention is trying to give you a strict linear description of how it played out. Yeah. And we wouldn't insist on that in any conversation in this universe. So it would be weird Unless to go we were asking specifically for a, a chronological list. It would yeah. be weird to go to communion and you got the wine first and then the bread. You're like, well, how do I okay. wash the bread down? Because when do we have communion again at Fellowship of Faith? Not this Sunday, but next it's Sunday. Happened let's, to me before. Let's, let's, let's change it up. Let's let's yeah. blow minds. Let's blow <laughs> minds and change hearts. Be ready, FOF. How do you wine before bread? Because that's what it's all about, right? <laughs> but don't don't have a song right after, because everybody will have that wafer in their mouth yeah. trying to. So, no, no, what we'll do, we'll do the wine, then we'll sing a song, then we'll have the bread, right? <laughs> what's happening? What here? is going on? <laughs> So, hey, guys, we invite your questions. Text them in to 815-314-0363. Again, 815-314-0363. We've got a lot in the inbox here today. What else do we have coming at us, Andrew? Yeah, here's one. Um, how does your church view other faiths? How does our church view other faiths? I am going to start. It's very. That's a very wide question. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is. And I'm going to start um, by speaking about Fellowship of Faith. Mm -hmm. Andrew and I are on staff at Fellowship of Faith here in McHenry, Illinois. Um, check us out if you want to see our statements of belief or things like that at fellowshipoffaith.org. Um, Tina, my wife, is sitting here today, and we've been at Fellowship of Faith for about 18 years now, which is mind-blowing. Yep. It's crazy. Um, been a great place. But Especially let me, because we're only like 22 years old. How could we have been there for 18 years? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We came when we were four and had kids that were two. Right. And uh, now we're older now. Much, much older. It's sad. I don't feel like I'm in my 20s anymore. No, I don't either. Late 30s. No. No, you, you feel solid 40? How old are you, Tina? I'm going to ask you. I'm going to ask you on the air. I'm 47. We own it. I round up to 50. That's that's what I'm uncomfortable with. Yeah. Yeah. None of this rounding, huh? No. I I would love to round up to 50. 
<laughs> but you, you your your like vibe keeps it young though. Ken has bright yellow shoes on right now, and I just matches my glasses. Oh, look at and that! I love it. Yeah. yeah, you match, Ken. That's it. You match. All right. So, how does our amazing church view other faiths? And I need to answer it this way specifically because there is, depending on the local Christian congregation you're in, or or any faith tradition, be it. Uh, um, um, organized or disorganized religion, be it uh, of a Christian bend or, um, you know, of another major world religion or, or a more sectarian or homegrown or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, you know, it's going to vary congregation to congregation, gathering to gathering, church to church, synod to synod, denomination to denomination, um, world religion to world religion. But I mean, there's so much variance in this that I, I, I can't paint this with too broad of a brush stroke. So let me speak today about two things. One, our particular church, our, our particular local congregation, if you will. And secondly, what I believe the biblical picture is, an answer is to this question. All right. We have to start by defining what we mean by other faiths, because that, of course, has an incredibly wide spectrum in its own right. Mm-hmm. You know, you you can talk about someone in your own own congregation having another faith who claims to believe even the same thing or the same books or follow the same teachings as you, but has their own kind of nuanced understanding of them. Well, Well, is that a different faith? How far do you push this, right? How do we define what another faith is? I'll tell you our approach at Fellowship of Faith. I think fundamentally, no two people share 100% the exact same faith, even if we claim to. And I'm going to make a statement right here. We are a Bible-believing church at Fellowship of Faith, and yet I would argue that there isn't a single person at Fellowship of Faith or in a Bible-believing congregation that fully believes the Bible. If you did, you would follow what it says. Explain that. If you did, I just did. If you did, well, explain that. You would follow what it says. If you truly believe that what God said is here, that God, what God revealed here is true, all of our lives would be much different if we actually believed it and didn't just claim to believe it. Right? Does that make sense? I understand yeah. your words, but fill out a little bit more. I don't know how, so push me. I mean, are you talking about like men shouldn't shave their chops, their their sideburns, or or are you are you like a bigger picture of like care for the widow and the orphan and feed the hungry. What? Yeah. Not I mean, so guess, much, not so much some Levitical code. Like you shouldn't clip the hair at the side of your beard, because if you're truly following what, what Christians would view as the whole Bible, which includes the new Testament, mm-hmm. those laws have been fulfilled and we're no longer bound by those mm-hmm. kinds of laws. But, but the, um, uh, the manifestation of the spirit in our life and how we treat people with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, the, the act of sacrifice, I'm in suffering that, that Christ calls us to the, the, the radical way that he describes in the sermon on the Mount, that, that the mark of a disciple of Jesus should look like you're going to be hard pressed to find anyone who not only does it, but seeks it fully because often when we come face to face with it, it feels so extreme, so outside the realm of reasonability, so outside of our, of our even desire to do that. The reality is we can say we believe it. And we wouldn't even want to believe it. But there's something in us that doesn't, right? We're still trusting in something else. Or we're still doubtful of what he's saying. And therefore, we don't pursue it as, as all in as we would otherwise. And that, that I don't say is a way to get us off the hook. I say it as an indictment on all of us on all Christians and all the human race, on myself sitting here doing this podcast today, um, I'll let you put your own shoes on if they fit with this. Now, what that means is we constantly come, as a Bible-believing Christian myself, I constantly come against the words of the Bible. And when my will and ideas conflict with it, the call is to submit to God's revelation over my own revelation. But easier said than done. Would you agree? Wholeheartedly. And that's what the Christian yeah. journey so often is. So this is kind of getting a field a bit yeah. of the original intention of the question. I can't remember what the question was. Uh, how does your church be other faiths? Okay. <laughs> I love how the New Testament will talk about God's call 
to one true faith. And that is a call on all of us, Christian and non-Christian alike, of every stripe and variety. We are all constantly being called by God to unity in one true faith. And it is God's definition of faith. It is God's faith, not a faith of our own making, not a faith of our own understanding. And, and we have to kind of fumble through that process and work towards it. But we should all, no matter what faith tradition we're in, whether we belong to this church or that church, this denomination or that denomination, this religion or that religion, we should all be working towards God's call of what his definition of the one true faith is, which I believe is revealed most clearly in Jesus and carried on through the testimony of the apostles and the prophets that you can find in the Bible. Hence why I'm a Bible-believing Christian, if that makes sense. But I had to go through that journey to get the understanding of what I mean by that there. So what that means is we should all be treating each other with charity. We should all be um, treating each other with love and respect um, and, and patience in what we believe. We should all be respecting the good that we found in, in, in the call to the one true faith and how it aligns with God's one true faith, and yet challenging each other and calling each other to repentance and, 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 and to deeper and, 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 and wiser ways of thinking when we see our brothers and sisters at odds with the one true faith. This is why Christianity is fundamentally an evangelistic religion. It's not because every individual Christian can say, I've got it completely right, but it's saying, I found where to find the source. I found where the God who reveals himself is and is one beggar who's found food coming to other beggars who are hungry, going, let me show you what I've found, and then we can challenge each other on the journey um, towards that one true faith. Yeah. Well, and that's where that community comes in. That's why church is so important. The gathering of people is so important. Why, why spirituality can never be an autonomous individual act. There is certainly an autonomous individual element, but people who reduce it to that are basically shortchanging spiritual wisdom, spiritual growth, spiritual maturity, spiritual intimacy, uh, spiritual enlightenment in connection with God. So for people who are uh, listening that don't have a church home, don't have a faith community, how do you recommend they find that? Just start trying. Okay, do what everyone does and web troll. And what? I what? Web troll, troll. Troll the web. Troll the internet. Okay. I guarantee you that within 30 minute driving distance of most people listening to this podcast today, at least in the United States, you are going to find over 100 churches. Um, I have my own experience of church wound and church hurt. Mm -hmm. And I know what it's like to need to detox from church. I know what it's like to struggle with not fully finding what you're looking for. And I promise you, you'll never fully find what you're looking for because there is no perfect church on earth. And all of our hearts are inclined to yearn for the fullness of it. No, we have, we have carbon copies at best of the kingdom of God. But I'd rather have a carbon copy than nothing. And I'd rather have a carbon copy where we admit it's a carbon copy and go, Lord, teach us how to do it better and maybe start writing in the ink on this a little bit more deeply and bringing clarity and goodness to the mess that we bring to any human institution that we do. But you got to start experimenting, guys. And I encourage you, certainly if you're in the area, check us out at Fellowship of Faith. We'd love to have you, fellowshipoffaith.org. But I'll tell you, Fellowship of Faith is not even a church for everyone. No. And that's why all these different congregations, we need to be in it together. Because different styles, different different focal points, different um, emphases that we bring, mm -hmm. um, just different personalities of different communities are necessary in God's kingdom to meet different people where they're at. Don't try one and give it up. And don't try one just once. Give any church, unless it's horrible, <laughs> at least three tries. And keep going until you find it. The problem is most people give up. They maybe go and listen one Sunday. Or maybe catch it on a live stream or something. And hey, that's better than nothing. And I want to applaud you in that. But that's just taking a first step. It needs to go further than that. And uh, it's the biggest encouragement I can give to people who are li listening today. Yeah, as I'm just listening to you talk through that, I'm thinking from, I think, a, another perspective on that of the, I'm just going to find a church and or search for a church until it says what I want it to say. Until they teach what I want it to teach. So... I think that can be dangerous too, as we're talking about like the one true faith kind of in God's <laughs> eye. Because how do, how do the, you find that? You are not the determining factor of the one true faith. God yeah. is 
right? Yeah. And so just saying what I want to say and hearing what I want to hear, certainly there needs to be resonance and you need to look at their statement of belief and, and wrestle with it critically, which no one does anymore. People go to a church because they like the facility. The people are friendly. The, the coffee is good and the good. music is great. They had a good time. Yeah. Right. Oh, I get that. I want to go to a church where I have a good time too, but it, it, it's secondary to more important things. The church should be challenging you and walking alongside of you and meeting where you're at, but then challenging you to step out of that. And that's when most people flee churches is when, and believe me, it's been horribly done in, in many contexts, but it's also been done very lovingly and people just don't want to hear or be challenged oftentimes. Um, so yeah, thanks for bringing that up, Andrew. Great insight there. I'm pretty much full of only great insight. <laughs> you know, you are. You You're are. welcome. Yeah. Yeah. You are. <laughs> the overflowing fount here at questions you never thought you could ask in church. Exactly. Exactly. I got to say, I initially laugh at that, but then I'm like, yeah, don't doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> There's a reason why I ask the questions. I don't answer the questions. So if you have a, yeah, if you have questions today, text them to Andrew here at 815-314-0363. Yeah, yeah, my... All right. You give out my personal cell. <laughs> I'll try to Surprise. solve the world's problems. Um, I, I think we kind of ended on this next concept a little bit. Um, so we are called to love our neighbors. How do we show our love without condoning their behaviors and not being judgmental? So kind of that idea of different faiths or different people that disagree with you or do Does something it, you don't think is right. It doesn't even have to be different faiths. I mean, just, exactly. just different lifestyles, lifestyles different choices. In general, yeah. Right, mm -hmm. right. Um, yeah, and then, then we have one here that's very similar. Let me hear this one yeah. first, and then I'll, I'll then, then uh, um, Annabelle, uh, appreciate you asking here today, and uh, we'll circle back in yeah. a minute, okay? So how do we show our love without condoning their behaviors or beliefs and also not being judgmental? I cannot give you a simple maxim or formula today that is going to navigate every situation in life on that question. Like love for dummies. We need that book. Right. But <laughs> do you ever notice that dummies books are always 400 plus pages? <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I need the spark notes version, of which the is, dummies yeah, book. <laughs> yeah. Right. You know, Jesus of course has the maxim, love your neighbor as yourself, which can take you a long way to always just be asking the question, how would I want someone to treat me? in a similar situation. It's exhausting to treat other people like that. Because when I it try, is. I realize how self-focused I am. Yes, yes. How, how selfish I am. Yeah. And meditating on that one sentence alone will take you a long way. But I think I need to take us back to how to play that out because that's what people really want in this situation, in this circumstance, in this moment. How do I apply it? And remember the earlier discussion on wisdom? Mm. This is yeah. why it's so important. Because you only learn how to do that by practicing it and practicing it along the trajectory of God's revealed truths and working through what he has said, what he has done, the examples that believers before have given you. This is why we have a wealth of, of, of knowledge in, in, in Christianity, why we don't just discard the past um, and go, well, what do I do right now today? Well, you're not going to figure that out of your own accord, just like you're not going to learn skill in anything today, yeah. Right. You can practice by yourself. You can think about it, but why rely on that when, when you've got uh, all of that going before you? Um, it's a, a practice so that develops wisdom. About. I mean, like when the kids were little and they were starting sports and they'd get frustrated. I'm like, wait a minute. You've never played soccer before. Of course, you're not going to get goals immediately. You know, you've never done this before. Why do you think you're going to be good at it? You're going to grow into this. Why do you think you would be good at loving someone else in a way that doesn't condone their behavior without being judgmental? Which is a very complicated thing to even yeah. say if yeah. you have not practiced it along the lines of being coached by the Spirit of God and developed in His trajectory and His revealed will and word um, time and time again. How many yeah. shots do you got to make before you get honed? So, so be patient with yourself. Be quick to apologize if you've done wrong to someone in the practice of this. But don't let that derail you from seeking wisdom and doing it better and better, right? And almost yeah. like that, that seeking wisdom part is uh, other people kind of loving us where we are, you know? Yeah, seeing how like, other so, people are doing that towards, towards yeah, you is yeah. a teaching tool for yourself, basically. Yeah, yeah. 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 So we've got kind of a related one here too by, uh, we got Anna Bear. Anna Bear Namier, right? But we're going to go by her uh, All right. her handle name here. Anna Bear Namier, if I'm saying name. that right, um, was posted online. Claiming to be an Acts 2 church, how do we reach out to non-believers or people of different religions? Fantastic question. And thank you so much for asking it here today. Um, 
when you refer to an Acts 2 church, it's referring to this, this, this hyper-condensed picture of what life was like, an idealistic picture even, of life in the early church after God's Spirit was poured out. And this is what it says. It's Acts 2.42 and, and following. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Um, all the believers together, they were filled with, uh, with, with wonders of the many wonders and signs that were done by the apostles, right? All the believers were together and, had, and shared everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. They continued to meet in the temple courts daily, breaking bread in their homes and gathering together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. My gosh, when does that happen in Christianity, right? Yeah. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. That, that's what um, is being referred to here by that Acts 2 vision or picture. And I think you do ex- exactly that. I think if, if the problem with the church today is no one really wants it. Not many people really, really want it. They want to show up on an hour when it's convenient to their schedule right? And, and feel good and, and, and get, uh, there's uh, an old story about give me three pounds of Jesus, please. Don't give me an overwhelming amount. Don't give me too much. <laughs> Just give me enough that I can yeah. handle here today and, and stuff that I can kind of take home and suck in my pocket and carry easily into my home. Um, just give me enough to feel good, recharge my batteries, get inspired and have a good time. But very few believers, and, and I point the finger at myself in this too, really want it really, really want it, are consumed by it, are driven by it, the way that Acts 2 community was. And I think if believers truly devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, truly devoted themselves to fellowship, to breaking bread with each other, to prayer, witnessing again the wonders and miraculous signs done by the apostolic tradition, both that have gone before us and that continue to manifest today, that truly seek to have things in to, to share everything in common and to sacrifice of giving their possessions and good to, goods to those who have need, to meeting daily, not just in a, in, a, in a formal institutional place, but in their homes, breaking bread together with, and, and happy about it, right? That would be winsome to people. And the Lord would add to their number daily those who are being saved. You just live it. You live it. You know, St. Francis of Assisi is often attributed with this phrase, whether it's true to him or not is debated, but uh, preach the gospel on all occasions, and if necessary, use words. Love that. Yeah. You know, it, it starts there. But, you know, I've known way too many Christians to have used that as an excuse to never use words. You know, thought, word, and deed, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Fully all of it. You know, if the good news sounds like bad news coming out of your lips, you're probably doing it wrong. <laughs> All right? Yeah. Um, share what you have found in Jesus. Share what you're dis- discovering. Share what you're learning. Share what you're struggling with. Share the ways that he's helped you. Share the way that, that even more importantly, he's forgiven you. Share the way that you're trying to stumble forward. Be vulnerable in that. Share where you've discovered communities of believers and share the practice that you have and invite people into it. It isn't really more complicated than that. The problem is how many people actually want it. The reality is most Christians are actually pragmatic atheists today. I think the other thing uh, is giving ourselves a lot of grace because there's been times that we've had people over and it's uh, been either, not necessarily different faith, but like different culture. And it like, okay, that kind of flopped. And that was weird, but be encouraged to continue to do it, continue to reach out, continue to. Yeah. It's practice, invite. right? Yeah. You, you don't, we, we talked basketball earlier. You don't shoot free throws for the first time. And because you didn't score nine out of 10 goals. Because I'm no good at that. Well, maybe you're not good at it. Keep it up. God yeah. wants you to, and it's a good thing to do. And just get out of your own headspace. Yeah, and one of the things I noticed in just my adult life growing up is I knew very few people that didn't share my belief. Because mm-hmm. yeah, I, and allow yourself to be challenged. And right. School, and I went to a, a Christian college, and everyone I knew was from church. And it's like, okay, well, how am I living the gospel or sharing the gospel or being the church? If I never talk to anyone outside of the church. <laughs> right, right. But it's frightening. 
Mm-hmm. All right, so we're going to have people challenged. over for dinner. We're going to meet at our house and break bread. And we're going to talk about challenging things. Love it. Well, guys, we're <laughs> out of time it. for today. This is Questions You Never Thought You Can Ask in Church, the podcast where you can ask any question on God, life, theology, Christianity, comparative religions, the Bible, and how it intersects with your own life. We get these questions live. We do the best job we can to answer them on the spot. You can ask your questions at any time. Text them into 815-314-0363, You can catch us on 216 The Net. You can catch us on fellowshipoffaith.org. Go to the FOF Plus page for past episodes um, or to our Facebook page to catch us there as well. Thank you for listening today. We're so glad that you tuned in. God bless you guys out there. And uh, we'll, uh, if we didn't get your question, we'll hopefully get to it next week. God bless. Yeah.